You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. There is currently an orange turd inhabiting the Oval Office who is swirling about lies in regards to our voting process the very foundation of our democracy. This is going to be the greatest election disaster in history. Bullshit. You want to know why? Because facts count. They send out, like in California, millions and millions of ballots to anybody that's breathing. In California, the governor has sent ballots out only to registered voters. In fact, let's go further. Oregon has voted by mail only since 1998. In that time, 15 million votes have been cast. But they raid the mailboxes. They can even print ballots. They get the same paper, the same machine, nothing special. They get the same paper, the same machine. They print ballots. There have been 14 cases of fraud in Oregon in the last 22 years. And I can say this, the Republican Party cannot let it happen. Not only do 16 Trump officials, including himself, vote by mail, but in 2018, L. McRae Dallas Jr., a Republican operative who worked during the 2018 for Mark Harris, the Republican nominee in North Carolina's 9th Congressional District, was indicted for the criminal mishandling of absentee ballots. You are fake news. It's clear that Donald Trump and the Republican Party are going to sow the seeds of worry that our voting system is ripe with fraud in order to soften the blow of the ass whooping we're about to give them. But... That ass whooping will take massive voter turnout. And so today, we're putting that theater person slash activist voice to use in voter registration and raising your voice with the single greatest power we as Americans have. You are a rude, terrible person. A few months back, I had a thought. Well, more than a thought, the beginnings of a plan. What if the theater community and theater people alike came together and used what they inherently have within them, that activist voice? And what if we used that voice and those powers to keep the House, take the Senate, and win back the presidency this fall? And what if I put together a limited series where every other week we give you an action plan and an artist slash activist to inspire you to go out and get to work? Well, let's do it. I'm Eric Ulloa and this is Do You Hear the People Sing? A Theater Person's Guide to Saving Democracy. Oh, and if you're here to re-elect Donald Trump, you're in the wrong fucking place. So a thought just came to my mind. There may be one or some of you out there who has yet to register to vote, and that's okay. No judgments. But if we're going to clean House of Republicans and have that blue wave we're all dreaming of, we have to tend to our own house first. So hop online. This will literally take two minutes. Go to www.vote.org. Pause this podcast, 
and go register. All right. Welcome back, new registered voter. Now, let's get to work. According to Gallup poll, from March to June of 2020, the number of people that have called themselves Republicans in the U.S. has dropped from 30% to 25%. That's 5% of voters that have become disillusioned with their party. Where have they gone? The independent column. In fact, independents are now the largest political makeup in the country. And as of right now, half of the country leans left in the policy and leaders they want to see. This means a potentially huge blowout for Democrats in the fall if we do the work each and every day. So you're wondering, what's the big deal then, right? We have the numbers, that means we're good? Not true. We may have the numbers, but that most certainly does not mean that these people are registered and excited to vote in the 2020 election. So how do we fix that? The easiest task any citizen can do. We register voters. Now, I have a really fun organization we'll talk about a little later, but let's start with the easiest ways you can help register voters and make sure we win big this fall. Remember, we'll be in the midst of a pandemic. We have a toddler for a president who will contest any kind of close race, so we need to massacre him with votes so that there's not even an iota of an argument that Joe Biden will be the next president of the United States. So what's the easiest way you can do this? Look, every single day, we hop on our phones, they're glued to our hands, we all get that screen activity report on Sunday, and we are horrified with the amount of time we spend on our phones. Well, let's make those moments useful. For every time you hop on there, at least once a day from now on, post about vote.org, www.vote.org, on your Facebook, on your Insta story, on your Twitter, everything, every single thing. Make sure people know that they have to be registered. You can hop on Google, give them the deadline of it, and just give them www.vote.org, and they can register there. I find that we are always hopping on social media to complain about the issues. We can't, I am so guilty of this. I am as guilty as anybody. We hop on social media and we complain about the issues. I post seven, eight things a day about the things, seven, eight things that Trump has done just that day. And what we do is we constantly post about the problem and we constantly forget about posting about the solution. And we are at one solution left. And that comes November 3rd, and that is to vote him out. Not just vote him out, vote him out in a landslide. So it is a decisive victory. There is no coming back from it. Joe Biden will be the next president. So now with all that, with every day you're posting, comes a daily responsibility too, to make sure people know the due dates of it too. It does no good if we tell them to go register to vote and they've passed the deadline. So we're going to do this a little backwards today, and we are going to do the New York State voter due dates. Now, listen, if you're not in New York State, I know a lot of you aren't out there that are listening. It's an easy Google search, guys. Just Google search uh, you know, the registration dates. It's very easy to find. But as far as New York State, here we go. New York State voter registration deadlines. It has to be to uh, register to vote postmarked by October 9th. It has to be received by October 14th. So we're getting closer and closer each day. The last day to have a postmark request for an absentee ballot is October 27th. The last day to do it in person is November 2nd. Now, the last day to postmark that absentee ballot and send it in is November 2nd. The last day to drop it off in person is November 3rd, Election Day. Now, listen, this is very important. We have a new postmaster general who is 
literally a Trump ally who donated millions to the party and millions to the campaign. We already are seeing a slower mail system. Certain devices in place are slowly eroding away. And the fear of fraud during all this is very high. So what do we do about this? Well, we reach out to representatives. We demand oversight on the post office. And on top of that, we make sure that our ballots, if you're going to mail in that ballot, we make sure that ballot is in two weeks early, folks. The post office is telling us to do two weeks early to make sure it is there. So by that point, you know who you're going to vote for. Seal that ballot. Make sure everything on there is exactly as it says. Any little tiny variance will make that ballot not count and send it in two weeks early so you are all set. Now, let's have a little fun with my favorite combination, Broadway and politics. I came across a social media account that made me have a double take as it was doing exactly what we're trying to do here. And so I reached out because we had to have them on the pod. Please welcome co-founder of Broadway for Biden, Jeff Metzler. Hey there. How's it going? Good, Jeff. How are you, man? I'm good. I'm good. So uh, I I brought you on because, like I said, I I came across the account and a few of my friends reached out like directly after it was very much the same moment saying, you have to get Jeff on your show. You have to talk about Broadway for Biden. You guys are doing very similar things. And I was like, "Okay, we're going to do this. We're going to do this. And I'm thrilled we're here. Um, (laughs) Tell me all about Broadway for Biden. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, I was born out of uh, Hallie Morse, who uh, we both went to business school together. We were both Broadway performers. Hallie knows Dimitri, who is also a Broadway performer. And Hallie was really the one to say, hey, remember Barack on Broadway? Remember Hillary on Broadway? I don't think anybody's doing that. Do you want to do it? And we're like, well, yeah, we have to. We have to do something. We have to do more. A constant theme of ours has been voting is not enough, right? Yes. So, so we took off and then we, we've just kind of thought bigger and bigger with every step of the way. Let's not just raise money. Let's with, with the entire community kind of having to sit on their hands right now because of what's going on with COVID let's funnel that energy into action. Right. Um, and so now we have a whole arm of, of Broadway for Biden that is all about, uh, activating people and, and using our voices to, to make some change happen here. Yes, exactly. We need that. We need the excitement behind the campaign. We need people to get up. And you said voting is not enough. Voting is not enough. But I'm going to take us back to voting because this episode is all about voter registration. So (laughs) excellent. (laughs) uh, Now, now, uh, to be specific, uh, with uh, what are upcoming uh, events that you all are doing to help with voter registration ahead of the election? Right. Absolutely. So every single Monday night, and I encourage all listeners, not just people in Broadway shows, not just people in the Broadway community, but all theater lovers, and I guess democracy lovers all over the country to get involved. Every Monday we do phone banking. Um, this Just yesterday we had the Broadway companies of Mean Girls and Beetlejuice. We had uh, Ashley Park and Kate Rockwell and um, a number of reps from Beetlejuice on, on, on the, the call to kind of get everyone pumped up. Um, and then the cast, along with so many theater lovers, we got together and made over a thousand phone calls. So yes. we do that. Yeah, I know. Amazing, amazing. Some fun conversations. Um, actually, Ashley got on the phone with someone named Regina. Shut uh, up, really? Appropriate. Yeah, yeah. Some, <laughs> some like 70-year-old woman named Regina who is just living her life for Biden. So um, God, it's yes. a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. So we do it every Monday. I think next week is uh, the companies of Wicked versus the companies of Jagged Little Pill. We split all the participants up into two teams just to, to create a little fun rivalry and drive people to, to move uh, quickly. Um, and we're going to be doing that uh, every week from now until the, the election. Um, 
The other side of it, things that we'll be announcing soon are some different uh, town halls that are topical uh, as, as far as it concerns the Broadway community and our community of artists, but also how it is woven into the campaign and Joe Biden more specifically. Um, and then in the next few weeks, we'll be announcing some really fun performance oriented uh, fundraisers utilizing the, the biggest and best from the Broadway community. Amazing. Guys, this is literally everything you ever dreamed of. You are not only <laughs> getting democracy, you are getting yeah. Broadway stars hanging out with you and talking with you. Like, this is literally, yeah. Jeff, you're giving away too much. I swear, you're giving away yeah. too much. But you're I getting a song and dance. Yes, you're getting a song and dance and a freaking voice in the future of this country. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, the week before that, we had Ali Stroker, and, and Ali sang a song and spoke beautifully, and it was it's really been awesome. Did she ever say, I just can't, I can't say no to voting? Did she ever say that? <laughs> uh, no, but you know what? Damn just it. Social media ideas are just popping up everywhere. Hell <laughs> you missed your opportunity. <laughs> um, so uh, how do we find you guys, Jeff? Sure. If you follow, I, uh, Instagram is an awesome source. We're Broadway for Biden, um, number four. Um, we're also on Facebook, Twitter, and we are uh, launching our TikTok account soon. So for all those TikTok lovers out there, um, you know, definitely follow us. Um, we're all about using as many different parts of the community as we can to really amplify the message, get people activated, excited. Like I said, voting is not enough. So let's use our voices to get other people to vote, to register, to know when their deadlines are, to get their, their mail-in ballots, um, and to have those necessary but sometimes uncomfortable conversations with, with the people around us who just need a little opening up to, to understand why this is important incredible 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 cool i cannot wait to get involved i literally yeah. can't wait to get involved myself i can't wait for you all to get involved guys this is literally right up the alley of theater and activism it is calling <laughs> to you with bright broadway lights um yes so yeah. thank you jeff for being on thank you for sharing with us and everyone broadway number four broadway for biden go on instagram go on all all the all the social medias and check them out and get involved now yes please thank you eric so much thank you jeff There are these amazing nuggets of activism that will live forever in memory, where a person has used the most unlikely of places to draw attention to a larger systemic problem. And last year gave us one of these magical moments, where a creator challenged the very establishment that had just handed her the award and told them to do better. My folks raised me with the understanding that life is a team sport, and so is walking out of hell. That's what is at the heart of this show. It's about whether you can keep faith when you are made to feel alone. And it reminds us that that is how power structures try to maintain control, by making you feel like you're walking alone in the darkness, even when your partner is right there at your back. And this is why I wish I wasn't the only woman directing a musical on Broadway this season. There are so many women who are ready to go. There are so many artists of color who are ready to go, and we need to see that racial diversity and gender diversity reflected in our critical establishment, too. This is not a pipeline issue. It is a failure of imagination by a field whose job is to imagine the way the world could be. So let's do it. Thank you. Thank you. But it's one thing to just talk about it, and it's another to actually be the change you want to see in the world. Please welcome a director activist who suffers from no failure of imagination. And please excuse the fact that we were literally recording this during a tropical storm. Here she is, Rachel Chavkin. Thanks so much, Eric. 
Thank you for coming on today. Yeah, it's funny. I would never have used, have thought of actually a moment of getting a platform like that as an unlikely place for activism. It's sort of, to me, it's like the most obvious um, well, you know, yeah, opportunity. It, it, yeah. And I think a lot of people, you know, there's this misconception sometimes with that, that people say, you know, we've heard it done so many times, like that isn't the right place to do it. You shouldn't do it there. Say, and you always say, well, then if not there, then where? Yeah. I mean, look, like there's some of the most important acts of protest have been extremely quiet between two people in a domestic space. Like, um, we'll talk about this, but Jalen and I are working on this show called Reconstruction that, um, we read a book by an incredible black feminist scholar named Thabolia Glimpf, uh, uh, called Out of the House of Bondage that is about, um, basically the domestic space during, um, in, and post, uh, slavery, uh, between, um, white women and black women who were enslaved in their households. And like, I'm, I think a lot about the type of protests that occurred in these private spaces, but yes, also we sometimes get this opportunity to, uh, to radically amplify, uh, and certainly in particular, if you're a person of privilege, which has to do with both, you know, whiteness, my, my identity as a white woman, um, but also my identity as someone who had just won an award that is going to have lasting impacts on my career and my power to dictate how my career is going to go. Um, then that's, uh, I think that's a, an opportunity that can't be missed. Yeah, I, I, I had a, uh, I was, you know, rewatching it a couple times now as we were putting together the episode. And I had this very visceral reaction when I heard it to like a memory where I shot back to watching you first say it and like screaming like a crazy person at this Tony viewing party being like, yes, yes, just screaming. And uh, so can we, can we break down just this moment and, and the, in the, and how, when you were, you know, these things obviously are, are crafted. You, you think about what you're going to say there. And, and also, I think a lot of people, when they're approaching a form of activism like this, can be scared of the repercussions. So if you can just take me through and unpack a little of that. Oh, my God. Yeah. I mean, Amber. So Amber Gray and I, uh, who, of course, plays Persephone in Town, and who I was actually just FaceTiming um, with her and her babies this morning. Um, oh. You know, she's one of both my closest friends and also one of my closest colleagues. And um, and obviously we were both nominated Amber for Best uh, Supporting Actress and or Featured Actress in a Musical. And um, and so we both were working on drafts of our speech because we were both a terrified um, and B <laughs> wanted to make sure if we got a chance to talk that we use the opportunity well. And so we would like literally we would ride the subway home together from Hades town um, and uh, time each other. <laughs> and it was like being <laughs> each other's sports coaches. Um, and I can remember her being like, you have to cut all the names don't waste time because you have to get to this later part. And the Tony's people kind of scare the Dickens out of you that they're going to cut you off. Um, so, so we were taking that really seriously. And, um, and look, I mean like that night I I am actually, I'm in, I'm very comfortable with speaking off the cuff to large groups, but having to make sort of a really formal speech, uh, absolutely. Um, 
makes me nauseous. And so I was sort of fretting in my seat the whole time. And I really don't remember the feeling of being on stage other than just reading the paper because I knew I would not be able, like it was, I would have gone up on my lines and I'm not an actor (laughs) and I don't miss (laughs) acting, you know? So there's a reason why I brought the speech up with me. Um, and I can just remember like basically turning away. Chris Jackson was who had helped present the award. And like, he was the first person I saw, um, as I turned away and I can remember his like, smile. And I can remember running into Cody Renard Richard, who's uh, an extremely close colleague who was stage managing the Tonys and and he's the stage manager, uh, the PSM on Lempica. So like I can remember sort of those embraces, but all I remember was just like, get through the speech, get through the speech. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, what I love is that this could have just been a moment of raising your voice and bringing awareness to the lack of women and people of color in the world of theatrical storytelling. And that that alone is a very bold moment of activism. You are telling the world this is not right, but you push further and you are the artistic director of Team, which is a Brooklyn-based theatrical company that does just this. Can you tell me more about all of this? Sure. So the team was started in 2004. um, And I should be really clear, because this is, I think, a a history that we have just been like reckoning with and owning as we think about where we are and how we're moving forward. Um, But we were founded by six white identifying artists in 2004, with the goal of making new work about the experience of living in America today. And all of our work is um, collaboratively written. I think actually the the probably the most um, uh, uh, sort of apt comparison is like a television writer's room, mm-hmm. where sometimes we're all sitting around our at our computers, and sometimes we are writing on our feet, uh, which is also known as improvisation, um, and. Uh, uh, we have now made, we certainly over the time, starting with the original six, we grew and grew again and grew again. And um, in 2011, we premiered a work called Mission Drift, was that, which was actually Amber Gray's uh, joining of the team, um, was on that show. And Heather Christian, who is an associate artist we work with a lot, as well as founding members, um, which include Kristen C., and uh, Jessica Macy, um, the Kristen who was in the band's visit, like she, all of us have sort of major freelance lives as well as individual lives. Um, but the team is sort of really our home. And for myself, I used to think that the team would be the place where I did quote unquote my work. And actually in some ways now, I think of the team as being the place where I and everyone else in the company can can thoroughly most bring our politics into the working process. And I think that gets at the heart of like what we're talking about. So in 2017, we premiered um, this like crazy two-night concert called Primer for a Failed Superpower. And that was the first time I'd um, artistically collaborated with Jalen Levingston, who is the associate director on that piece and is now the co-director of Reconstruction, uh, still working, but the devil might be inside, which is the new show that the team is making. 
And speaking of Jalen Livingston, we have him here with us, which I am so thrilled about. So please welcome Jalen Livingston. Hey, gang. Hi. Jalen, now listen, Mike, literally, thanks for coming and thanks for uh, allowing me to know uh, of you. I I have been in a 24-hour tailspin of everything I could find on you on the internet, and it is... uh, Pretty brilliant stuff, my friend. Uh, it, it is. I mean, seriously, there, there is folks like seriously, when you're out there, like write this down. The moment you finish this pod, go read this piece immediately. Google, we shouldn't have to be murdered to prove that black people are divine. And please go Google that. And it is a remarkable piece of writing. I, 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 yes, I don't I don't quite have words for it yet, Jalen. I don't. <laughs> uh, oh, I'm still processing so it. No, but truly, because you you bring your words bring to life. Um, clarify a moment, I think, for so many people in a way they haven't seen it yet and make people do a comparison on their very values that that live inside of them. And I think that's really, really important. So first, I need to know everything about you. And then you need to oh, know, gosh. I need to know how you and Rachel came together. And I want to hear all about Reconstruction. Cool. Well, yeah, um, it all started in Shreveport, Louisiana. <laughs> <laughs> where yes. I, I, I was yeah. raised, <laughs> um, very Southern upbringing. Uh, and because of that, I mean, there was the arts were around me for sure, but not in a huge abundance of resources. And so if you ever did a show, you probably also painted the set or you probably also assistant directed or choreographed or produced something or wrote a scene. And so I grew up kind of doing a a lot of different things in theater making, but in my head had told myself um, that you're supposed to act for like 50 years and then someone will let you do other things. And so (laughs) I went to to college in Los Angeles um, uh, for musical theater and graduated from there, did a show in L.A., Uh, got my equity card and came to New York where I was, um, you know, like about to tap dance on Broadway and was super excited to to kind of do that grind. Um, But very, very quickly, and this was in 2016, very, very quickly felt that uh, my uh, gifts and uh, my talents were, one, being called to other work, Um, and also just like was gravitating towards other work that wasn't necessarily performing, but looked more like, uh, directing, producing, writing, and doing those things at the intersection of arts and activism. And uh, in the summer of 2016, I started a a arts activism campaign called Words on White that used, uh, the performing arts and, uh, the technology of this long white canvas to, uh, bring audiences and communities together around difficult subject matter. And then from there, um, I joined an organization called the Broadway Advocacy Coalition, which I'm still a part of. Um, and we do uh, a lot of capacity building work. We do work uh, that centers the narratives of directly impacted uh, historically in the sectors of 
um, education, immigration, and criminal justice. And uh, we are now kind of turning our efforts in on uh, the industry of entertainment or Broadway um, itself and kind of using the methodologies we've been developing uh, over the years in other communities to help in um, building Broadway's capacity to create a uh, anti-racist workplace. Um, Incredible. And while doing that, I uh, met Rachel um, through a mutual friend and colleague. And like she said, we were working on Prime Four Post Superpower together. And then she asked me to come aboard this really wild project called Reconstruction. Um, it's definitely Hurricane Katrina outside of my window, and so I apologize for the sound. No, we're in the um, middle of a storm, so everyone knows we're in a big storm, so that's why you might hear some interference. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and we started working on reconstruction, which uh, the team works uh, through like prompt-based exercises to kind of excavate material. And so there was an, an, an initial prompt, which was basically, what would it look like if you got a room full of people that looked like America today to tell the story of Gone with the Wind? Oh, wow. What would that Gone with the Wind story look like? And then from there, over the years, it has evolved into this really kind of intricate, complex, messy exploration into... Um, the period of Reconstruction in America, uh, into ideas of intimacy, into uh, ideas of uh, land ownership and who has the right to what land and whose house belongs to who and what responsibility do we have to what? Um, And what does it mean to deconstruct, yes, but also rebuild something? Um, Some of the ideas we're working with and... Uh, what does it mean to be doing that kind of creative work or excavation while also trying to decolonize um, and create an anti-racist rehearsal room process and theater company, um, which has the work of both of those things have bled into each other in really interesting, uh, fascinating ways. And so we've been on the journey of reconstruction for uh, maybe a, a two years, Rachel? Yes, Jalen. I think uh, the first workshop was um, March 2018. Yeah, so we've been working a while on this, and uh, which is part of the course for a team show. It takes many years to create it. Um, and we're working with, uh, I believe, the largest ensemble of writer, actor, performer, musicians um, that the team has ever worked with. And uh, we span across all um, different kinds of uh, racial and cultural backgrounds, um, also uh, generations. Yeah, uh, totally. At I least think it's three like generations oh my are represented gosh. in the room. Yeah, I think it's like uh, 24 or 25 when we started up to 95. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And so to ask of a room that uh, diverse and a room that um, filled with its own intrigue to, through a consensus-based democratized process, create a piece of work is in itself its own event. Um, And so it's been a really kind of thrilling uh, process to work on. 
Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Well, and you're taking you're taking a piece that goes into these themes and, and breaks down all of these things. But then also at the same time, which is fascinating, is that you're also creating a model for a room working in that function going forward, which I think is an amazing thing for everyone in this industry to, to latch onto. And you're like saying, hi, we can be an example to the world of theater and how you can go about doing this and creating spaces that are that are that are safe for creativity and for and for all of these, you know? Yeah. And I think it's, I mean, uh, it's funny. I'm like looking right now for a quote, Orion Johnstone, who is um, an incredible activist artist who Jalen and I both worked with on Primer for a Failed Superpower. Orion was the music supervisor on that show, as well as one of the composers. And Orion and I um, both went to college together. I mean, they're an extremely long, close friend. And um uh, Orion, uh, via both Adrienne Marie Brown, who is an activist, uh, artist who we have spoken extensively about. And then, um, Emma Goldman, like in particular grounds this, there's this Emma Goldman quote, which is the means used to prepare the future will become its cornerstone. Yeah. And it's so good. It's so good. And, (laughs) And so I think like, um, as Shailen said, like there was no, there is no way that conceivably we could have made a work that was in any way truthful, um, in a, in a deep spiritual sense of that word, uh, you know, about intimacy, particularly both between black and white people in America in, in specifically an anti-black America as the country Mm -hmm. is and has been, um, without getting into that ourselves. And so I think we are now, I I don't know, Shailen, actually, this is a question to you is like, I am acutely aware now about how useful it is to be talking about the reconstruction room as a potential model, but I, I would not say that's been forefront of my brain so much as just like a, a necessary step to just doing the work ourselves. Yeah. And I mean, I think from room to room, the, the, the work will look different because of the structures that are surrounding the room. Sure. Right. So mm-hmm. like, the team is a, you know, Brooklyn-based experimental company that doesn't have the same kind of, like, uh, capitalistic expectations that a Broadway show would, 
nor does it have the kind of um, time pressure that a Broadway show would. And so the work wouldn't look the same from place to place. Um, And I think it's more important more important than just taking the team's model and trying to cross apply it somewhere is to um, try to see if you can ask some of the questions that the team is asking currently and then see how those answers manifest themselves in the rooms that I would say artists find themselves in from, from, you know, in all positions of their work. Um, Questions like what does it mean for everyone to be credited equitably? What does it mean to think about the labor that the Black artists are walking in the room with versus other identifying artists? You know what I mean? What does it mean to have someone there um, as support uh, for Black artists who are going through difficult going through difficult difficult material in the room. Yeah. We have an a extraordinary woman named Milta uh, Vega-Cordana, who is uh, a worker in anti-racism, does work with the People's Institute, and is a part of our process now as someone there to be a support to everyone in the room, but also to make sure that we are holding up our end of the bargain in terms of what we say we want to be in this room together almost the the dramaturgy of our own integrity as artists. Um, And and so to ask those questions, I think, leads to many different kinds of answers. But I think the first step is to just ask the question, how do you do this? How do you begin to decolonize a room? What does it mean to do that? Is it possible here? And if it isn't, what are we doing here? What are we sacrificing? You know, so I think those questions really will reveal the answers quite swiftly to to anyone who asks them. The the role that Jalen is talking about, um, Milta uh, Vega Cardona's role in the room is is I have referred to it, and this is inspired also by um, a term that I think came out of uh, the wonderful website and forum Everyday Feminism. Um, but is the idea of um, I call her we call her our process chaplain. And she really is, she just, I I would say that role has taken a pressure off the room that weirdly, like I'm on a bunch of committees that are thinking about theater in a post COVID um, universe. And one of the, you know, main things that is on everyone's list, of course, is, is having a, you know, someone who is just particularly focused on COVID, who is not the stage manager, who is not the director, who is, you know, a, a health professional or someone with training to focus on like cleaning procedures and ventilation and, and other protocols. And actually in some ways, I find it as useful and as pragmatic, even though it is a profoundly spiritual endeavor to think about this role that Milta has been filling in the, in our, in the reconstruction room, because it actually is a matter of safety as much as any. 100%. Uh, yeah. yeah. Um, and I've heard, I'm now quoting Jalen on this, but the idea of in trying to ensure that all artists leave the rehearsal process as whole as when they came into it. Um, yeah. And that has been very, yeah, profound. So this now, this is a, a great, you know, transition to this, this next uh, question I have for both of you, because so in my opinion, America, 
we suck at nuance. We just don't get it. Um, the pendulum swings so far and so wide that, you know, that one day we go from Barack Obama to Donald Trump. We, we have these massive pendulum swings. And right now we're in a moment of national reflection about the deep systemic racist issues that we face and that are so deeply embedded in this country. And, you know, I'm seeing a lot of well-meaning woke people trying to, in some ways, feels like sanitize history, which I feel is a scary reality. Um, there's a lyric in the show that Rachel, that you won the Tony award for in Hadestown that states, it's a sad song, but we sing it anyway, and we're going to sing it again and again. And that for some reason has always stuck out to me as something very in particular with knowing where we've been and, and, and remembering that as we go forward. And can you each explain to me as storytellers, why it's so important to share the truth of where we've been in as you now described, a safe place. Mm. Jalen, do you want to go first or you want me to? Um, maybe oh you my go God. as I wait it for sounds, the rain to trickle down. Um, it sounds amazing. Where are you? I'm just in, you know, Astoria in my room, but the, yeah, the rain. It sounds really good. Okay. I'll, I'll kick off. Um, yeah, so it feels important to be without devolving into guilt, which is inactive and self-focused and self-centered mm-hmm. uh, in you know a technical way. Like <laughs> this, you the the guilty one are are the center of that dialogue. Yeah. Um, uh, so I'm not advocating that. And at the same time, it feels like a deep acknowledgement of where we've been. And I'm just thinking about, I, I want to be really clear, I'm not speaking sort of grandly. I'm thinking very specifically about the team's process in sort of, uh, not sort of, in acknowledging the fact that we were started by all white artists, the, the cognitive and spiritual dissonance of trying to look at America in a collaborative writing process, meaning it really matters who is in that room, <laughs> um, trying to, to make America our subject with only white voices, mm-hmm. that that was a, a, a dissonance that we were able to diagnose pretty early on, actually. I mean, I would say by our in the middle of our second process, it was something we began actively talking about as a company. And yet for a a variety of different reasons that are mostly centered on white discomfort, um, we didn't, I'm going to say, figure out change. We didn't make a change in our structure um, and in our our, um, uh, working practices for a number of years after that. And then we did it slowly and in stages. And I think like a lot of people, a lot of, and I'll, I'll just say white colleagues, um, who I've heard sort of resonant parallel stories from, right. The process of awakening to the ambient noise that is white supremacy and white privilege, including your own in, uh, it, that it, it comes in waves and, and there have been sort of these moments of revelation, um, uh, from, you know, different experiences, different books, different art shows that I've been to. Um, uh, and, and it feels essential to sort of acknowledge that, uh, (laughs) 
that this process has happened, that you don't claim a sense of righteousness. I think mm-hmm. one of the, the big things that I've heard actually that has been most resonant um, was on the um, On Being podcast, which I quite love with Krista Tippett and uh, Resma Menicum, which I know has been an incredibly popular version of that show. Um, he is a, a trauma specialist. And one of the things they talked about, uh, they did another one with the two of them talking with Robin D'Angelo, author of White Fragility, is that it's not for a white person. Like I would never call myself an ally because that implies that A, it's a fixed state versus a verb <laughs> um, uh, or an action that is undertaken daily. And B, that's not, that's not my call. Um, oh, I love that uh, though. I love the idea of it. Of like, yeah, it has to be a verb. It has to be an action you do daily. Yeah, I mean, and that's that's also uh, I'm Jalen uh, may have it at his fingertips in a way I don't, but like it's something that James Baldwin talks about. It's yes. um, uh, it's it's a it's this is a refrain that we hear all over the place, and so it feels like again the acknowledgement of where you've come from is an illumination of where you have to go and the work that consistently has to be done to keep moving towards a more equitable space constantly. Um, and that is deep work. That is largely personal work. Speaking of nuance, you know, it's, I think there's a, a, a dissonance that I'm experiencing of what, like what should be shared in public spaces, including social media mm-hmm. versus what is private. Um, uh, but it's a, yeah, it's just an ongoing journey. It's a long answer, but Oh, that's great though. J- Jalen, what is, what is, why is it so important to you to share the truth of where we've been? Um, I'm thinking of a Baldwin quote from an interview that he did, and I'm probably misquoted a little bit, but I think about it quite often. Um, and he says, we have, this is towards the end of his, his life. Um, and he's being asked to reflect on, you know, why are we doing the work basically? Mm -hmm. And he says, we have reached the end. The curtain will fall on me as it will fall. But the question that I must ask myself is what about the children? And I think it's so important to remember that whatever spaces we create, I prefer to use the term brave space over safe space but whatever spaces we're creating um, for change work to happen, mm-hmm. for radical art to happen, um, for the work to happen, to remember that we don't just do it for ourselves. We do it in honor of everyone who's come before, and we do it for the sake of everyone who is coming after us, and that we are in a continuum, that nothing about this moment hasn't been seen somewhere in the history of the world. And so I find hope in that. I find hope in the repetition of human um, progress and regression, um, which kind of speaks to that lyric you brought up uh, from Hades Town. You know, it's an old song, but we sing it anyway. For who? And it's the answer to that question that I think is the gas that's underneath why the song has to keep being sung. Because someone hasn't heard it yet. Exactly. And someone hasn't had a chance to participate in the story of the world. Yes. And so we do what we do to pass that baton on eventually so that the world can actually keep 
spinning. It, yes, uh, you, you had me a little choked up there. Sorry, <laughs> uh, it, it is true. It really is. You you don't. We 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 hit these moments, and you're right. Someone has not heard that song yet, and someone needs to hear those lyrics, and someone needs to hear that tune because someone needs that lesson told to them again and again and again. Um, uh, Rachel, Jalen, I, I I cannot thank you enough for this. I think extremely enlightening time. Um, and thank you for coming on and thank you for all the incredible work you do. Can you please tell us where we can find more information on reconstruction and the team? Sure. Um, so the team's website is the team uh, terrible pun, but there you go. <laughs> um, and I think reconstruction is, is on there. We have to update our website. <laughs> I would say, I would say there's cognitive dissonance right now. Thinking about, <laughs> I think we're all a little behind right now. Yeah, <laughs> website. Um, I, you know, as Jalen said, like reconstruction is in the middle of a long process. I am, yeah. um, I, 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 I take great pride in describing the team's work as aggressively inefficient. Um, uh, so I don't know. I mean, we have been taught, we originally pre COVID, we're talking about fall of 21. Uh, Jalen and I have to have a, you know, director, real talk, director talk about sort of what the timeline will be, but probably sometime 2022. I don't know. Fantastic. Well, I, but sometime we do have a (laughs) fairly open rehearsal room policy with coordination. Oh, amazing. Um, because um, there's so many early career artists who are curious, actually, and, and uh, honestly, some established artists who just like are curious to see what a collaborative writing process looks like. Because yeah, it is very um, unusual and chaotic and exhilarating. Amazing, amazing. Well, thank you both so much again for being here. Thanks so much, Eric. We appreciate it. Yeah, thank you, and Jalen, thank you. I love. Sh- Talking with you always. Well, shit happened. So this past week, schools have begun to reopen despite the enormity of the pandemic still raging across this country. And with these reopenings, what we're witnessing is schools are not ready yet. In particular, we saw a viral prick from a Georgia high school, North Paulding High School, which a student sent out, which had massively packed hallways, students without masks, exactly as we feared. Now, Why I'm coming to you today with this is because it seems the North Paulding High School administration has decided to come against these students who are exercising their very rights and speaking out against something that affects their very life. Administrators came on the intercom warning these children that if they were to post any photos online or on social media about the school that did not show it in a positive light, there would be consequences. Well, As I've learned through this podcast, many of you that listen to this are, in fact, in high school or in college, and I want to help you out with some advice. Do not listen to these administrators. 
These rules are not real rules. The consequences cannot be real. You have rights on your side. Keep posting. Keep saying what's going on in your school. Keep telling the world what they're doing. This is extremely important, and I promise you, we have your back. In fact, if you feel uncomfortable with posting a photo of your school and you want it to get out there, send it to me over at at the Uyoa, T-H-E-U-L-L-O-A on Instagram. Tell me your high school and I will blast it out there and make sure people see what is happening across this country because you have the right not only to your voice, but the right to a happy and healthy life after this pandemic is over. Well, that's our show. Thanks for listening and don't forget, we're here every other week, so go get to work and we can't wait to have you back. Also, please consider making a donation to Fair Fight at www.fairfight.com. We know when they can't win fairly, they always try to cheat. And Stacey Abrams and Fair Fight are working hard to ensure that doesn't happen. Do You Hear the People Sing is a production of the Fabulous Invalid LLC and the Broadway Podcast Network. Today's episode was edited and engineered by Kyle Moore. Our theme music is by Brett Ryback. Our photography is by Michael Kushner. And our graphic design is by Aviva Sakalau Shahar. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.